You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. Today, Ezra Petronio takes us to school while sharing the intel and wisdom that can only come from insatiable curiosity in 30 years in this business. Having founded two companies in the early 90s, he's since gone on to become the ultimate example of how consistent quality in your work is a superpower and a formula for longevity. We talk about the influence of growing up with a creative director father, his early days in publishing as the editor of both his high school paper and the one at Parsons, as well as the nuanced consideration around art direction and advertising. Are we revisiting the DNA of the brand or adding to it? This is Ezra Petronio, and we're talking about what's contemporary now. Ezra Petronio, creative director and founder of Petronio Associates since 1993, editor-in-chief and founder of Self-Service Magazine since 1994, and founder of a number of other companies including the agency, Content Matters, and more recently, La Bouche Rouge, a forward-thinking beauty brand. So tell us what your secret is to sustaining an interest or inspiration in having these creative processes across the decades that you've managed to stay on top of this business, which typically changes quite quickly. I mean, I think, you know, I was very fortunate because it's something that grew on me as a child subconsciously. My father being a creative director and my parents working in the creative industry. So I was very, very early on subject to being pulled on shoots on sets, not necessarily being obsessed or having that much of an interest, but being exposed to this from uh, the, the 70s with big film directors and the 80s, all the master photographers of those times. So that was something that I was exposed to. But more so, what I was exposed to is this idea of wanting to come up with creative solutions to given problems. I was also very early on interested in the power of a magazine. And I even in high school, the French public high school went through all kinds of hell to put together to self-finance the high school paper. And it was very political. We're talking about student affairs. Same happened at Parsons. When I was an editor of the Parsons paper, and we were fighting for the LGBT community. We were fighting for smoking rights, all these kind of things. And I realized I was always fascinated by the different creative industries. Although I had developed my own expertise in typography, graphic design, that's what I was studying in art direction. With a little bit of photography on the side, I was always fascinated by the multiplicity of talents. And a magazine can bring these talents together. And the role of an art director, too, in a way, could bring different talents together. So that's something that I liked very early on. And then I just think it's about long journey through different periods of time. I mean, I even started before desktop publishing, learning typography manually. I was fortunate to discover the first computer, you know, the first Mac we had had three typefaces and that was a revolution. So it's all these steps of developing with time, these expertises and type and layout design and packaging and product design. And to always be extremely connected to the contemporary society, to the people I was growing up and partying with or discussing with. And that's also why I started self-service, which was a pretext of gathering a community of different kinds of people and evolving with them and imagining and dreaming. And, you know, then years go by, you accumulate experience. I was fortunate enough also to work at a time when there was a time to develop at your own pace. You know, you'd go to schools, you'd do tons of internships, you'd do all kinds of jobs, you'd accumulate all this baggage and whatnot. So that's also what gives me the kind of strength that I have today is this accumulated experience and a whole series of great mentors. And that being said, I think you're curious by nature. That's what I am. I'm creative and curious by nature and I'll never stop, but I'll embrace the evolution of our society and whether it's the music you listen to, the things you talk about, the way the contemporary art evolves. And I think you have a kind of a sociological point of view, perspective on the current times. And whether you think a certain period of time was more inspiring, fair enough. There's no sense in looking back or hoping for the future. You just engage the present 
to the best of your abilities and it's your obligation to find the inspiration, however it takes. These current times are not the easiest for a lot of people in a lot of the creative industries. Nevertheless, there's no excuse whatsoever. You need to work harder, to spend more time, to be able to find that inspiration to do good work. Or if not, you just give up or you do something else. And part of that is maybe the reason why we started a digital company, because, you know, we were always very in the forefront of digital. We were the first to push fashion brands to invest a little bit of money to do some digital ads and things like that. Because, you know, very early on, we explored with augmented reality. We explored with the iPad made to measure things up. It's something that we knew was taking on our society and was going to change the fundamental way we approached things. So uh, with uh, Lana Petrusevich, my creative partner, we, we started Content Matters, which was also an extension to our agency, which meant that we acknowledged the necessity to put in as much creative and strategic attention to digital content instead of treating it as a secondary thing. Because we knew very early on, inevitably, that was going to take more and more place as our world is evolving. So it was fundamental for us to learn as much and to develop as much as many skills as possible to understand how the world of digital communication functions with its pluses and minuses and to have that as a partner to our main agency. So both agencies work together sometimes under a strong creative direction on certain big brands, campaigns, or sometimes Content Matters does its own projects. Well, and then, you know, the magazine is also a great opportunity to stay tuned with things, to meet people and then do a little bit what you're doing right now with what's contemporary now is that you are engaging with people, you are trying to learn and we all need to learn and to transmit things. These things more so ever are fundamental today. Absolutely. Well, when it comes to something like Content Matters, which focuses on a digital first lead, how relevant do analytics end up being in your creative process as far as how you guys make decisions? Do they come into play or is that still secondary and more on the brand side? I think at this point, that's on the brand side. Yeah. It really has to do with a brand's strategic vision or business objectives or the importance it puts on that. Every brand approaches that differently. The same as the place of influencers in the budget splits and stuff like that is not something we want to take on into our expertise. We leave that to other people. I mean, we're curious about it, but no, we don't function that way. We function in partnership with people that have the expertise or that will brief us in a certain way on which are the formats that are more effective. And we always try to stay up to date with technical things that need to be done or formats or timings that are more effective and reach the people in a more effective manner. Content Matters obviously launched pre-pandemic. So you guys, as I mentioned, were early adapters of those needs for brands in the creative space. But even with 2020 having taken us all by surprise, I mean, they say necessity is the mother of invention. And you guys had responded to those unprecedented challenges with the issue by doing something that was moving image based. So let's talk a little bit about that and how that's affected the way you view media buys and different deliverables and assets that you can offer your brand partners. Well, for sure. I mean, there was always been kind of an old obsession of ours. We always tried to explore as an independent publication, we have that opportunity and our duty to explore different ways a magazine can exist. That's why we went hardcover, you know, in the beginning and things like that, for instance. And doing still an issue was, as I said, an old fancy. When we were faced with early months of the pandemic, we were all as uh, editors-in-chief in contact with each other, talking about how all of our magazines were being affected and stuff like that. It was this kind of really intimate collaboration, which was kind of very sweet. And, you know, Media buy was very slow. And actually, in the beginning, everything was cut off. So we were imagining a whole season or even eventually two seasons without the possibility of producing a physical issue. So we said, there's no way we cannot do that. So we said, let's go ahead and approach it 
more as a film issue. And if obviously budgets come in and stuff like that, which they did, eventually we will print a physical copy. And so the whole idea, once again, it's a benchmark. It's an exploration. It was a simplified version of a more ambitious idea. We did two issues. The first issue was an hour and 20 minutes. It was totally made out of uh, motion graphics. It was a very, very complex with a whole soundtrack done by Pedro Winter that was masterized. Everything was animated from the cover of the titles all the way to the ads. We worked with every client and we animated their ads. The whole idea was to give us a second experience to the idea of a magazine. So as you remember, it was very static and the pages would turn by themselves. So you still stayed within the format or structure of a magazine, except you would just view it and it would unfold. You know, the first one was very long. We reacted to it and we did the second one, the opposite, which was more of a 25 minute version, which was more, you know, a condensed version of the magazine. So we tried both formats to see which had the most commercial potential. It did. I mean, it had amazing responses from media, from advertising, from talent, from all kinds of people, because it was a first of a kind to see this kind of a a narrative unfold in a digital manner and, you know, to hear voices on top of the fact that you're reading their texts or things like that. And this was a first taste of something that could go way further by making it interactive. So that's why I say, I always say, you know, in time of uh, strife, in time of difficulties, in times of doubt, you are forced to come up with new ideas. You know, so that's how the magazine started in the 90s in France. So anyways, you know, we kind of mastered this format of a short, creative, motion graphic, animated editorials. And that's something we had started doing for brands. And Obviously, now we offer it in most of our collaborations with brands that you sometimes you know, buy media and print and ask for like an animated version of either their ad or their advertorial. You know, we have a, quite a strong digital team in-house and uh, we kind of master a lot of those formats. But uh, yeah, it's quite fun. It sounds like it. And what role would you say a magazine cover plays in our culture today? I think it still retains its importance, whether it's in a physical aspect or purely digital, because now obviously a lot of magazine covers exist purely digitally. What it does say it's important, it's more the, what you call in French, it's the reference of the magazine. It's what the magazine stands for. And I think in our world of visual exuberance and hyper-production of content, you need these kind of reference, you need these kind of a point of convergence, whether it's a brand logo or a magazine, it's a status. So in that sense, the status of a magazine and the community it represents has a certain value depending on its relevance, its history. So I would say it is important. It has changed though in the sense that in the past decades or in the history of fashion publications, you always had a single cover when a magazine was released. And that single cover was the fundamental, the first and strongest image to convey what the tone of the magazine was about. There was a thought process that was internal to the publishers and creators of magazines, which is what best encapsulates the spirit or intent of what we're trying to say, whether it be on fashion or personalities. And we have today a trend that consists of demultiplications of covers, which in my sense kind of diminishes the importance of it. It just becomes kind of a label, which I find a shame because it's less of a statement and it's just more of a trick. You know, you have some some publications that can release 30 covers, 20 covers, five covers. And sometimes it just diminishes the strength of the statement. And also says a lot about today's need of having to do so much and produce so much and not, you know, necessarily preserve your ideology. And it takes a risk. It's a risk to make a cover, to make that decision of what you want to say. And so I think sometimes it's very easy to be much more of a crowd pleaser by giving all kinds of options. But when 
the multiple covers are done in a smart way and a way which makes sense editorially, then that is viable to me. It's interesting. But if it's a bunch of covers that are disconnected one from the other, you don't pinpoint this magazine at a specific moment of time. It'll be very hard to. When we started introducing multiple covers and it was issue number six, we're going back in the mid nineties, we always did two covers in the beginning because it was really more a thought process on coming up with a concept to show two aspects of the same idea, you know? So there was a conceptual idea behind the two covers, but they were very tied together. Well, it's so true. A number of issues today have multiple covers. And I've always assumed that was something that was more commercially driven just in terms of offering brand partners prime real estate and really securing relationships that way. But as things have continued to evolve over recent times, obviously that's not just magazines. I mean, that's even brands. What would you say have been some primary takeaways over the past few years as far as recent experimental periods or the add-ons in terms of what it is that you're doing with brands? You know, everyone went crazy digital because there's a tremendous moment of fear and our industry was so prone on having to produce and communicate, engage with their consumers nonstop and social and stuff like that, you know, felt the need to have to continue. So we saw a profusion of fashion shows, of presentations, of things which actually, you know, were quite actually unsuccessful, you know, when you speak to most brands, because live streams don't really mean that much today. A lot of these presentations looked prefabricated. There was not that sense of, of live. And I think brands today, every brand have their needs to multiply the means of assets and things they do. Ultimately, things will trickle down and a lot of brands will realize that it's not about the quantity at all. It's not about being desperate to have to engage without a real strong strategic vision. That doesn't mean that that's going to bring you success. So I think People all faced quite a tough, tight economic environment and people trying to find their ways. I mean, more generally, the role of art direction, communication, and that framework radically changed over the last uh, five, six, seven years. Obviously, it went a little bit faster than COVID, but had already started before, you know. There's several things that really fundamentally changed the way we work as agencies, the way brands function. One is the increase of mediums and media types that has radically changed and that keeps on changing with the metaverse or whatever that may be. So the increase of mediums and medias, the, number two, the time, the time has radically changed, time to produce. We have less and less time to produce and less and less time to deliver. So those time frames are really crunched. Uh, the third thing is, the, you know, the quantity and variety of deliverables now on jobs you take, whether it's on a fashion show or a campaign, the quantity has increased. And finally, you know, apart from a few great, big, healthy brands, budgets have been squeezed. They're very, very tight. So all these four factors make our job extremely complex. And that's something that has changed in the way we work. Because, you know, people that have a certain experience can kind of navigate this a little bit more wisely or with more experience. But for a lot of young people, you know, our directors is quite difficult because... You know, tell me if I'm just going on or it's just... No, um, I love this. It's amazing. No, no, I'm saying talk more generally, but you know, I mean, my personal vision of what the role of an art director is, and I've always said that in any interview, any person I meet or talk discusses, an art director is not an artist per se. What we do is whether it's on a single project or an annual collaboration, is we create the unique communication to allow someone's vision. You know, we're an extension and that's our job. And what that means is that it's our capacity to truly understand what our clients, whether it's the CEO, the designer, whatever, what he wants to achieve. And then we can create an original, strong, unique, creative execution. And that's important. Today, there are different ways as a creative director, art director, you can be involved in different involvement levels. And it can be very, very different. You're lucky to work directly with 
the top management, which is a CEO, a designer, or you know, the top team, and have access and be able in constant communication and fully understand what the vision and strategy of the brand and the designer from a creative of the design is, it's very helpful. Or if you're not working on projects where there are all these layered channels of decision-making, ultimately your role will be different and you might end up making too many compromises. But fundamentally, you're there to ex- execute a vision. And the strong, successful brands are when you have this symbiosis, this coherence between what the designer and, and designer and CEO, because usually the best brands are when those two have the same long-term strategy. So then when there's a symbiosis between that vision and your creative execution, then that's a success. Then you've done your job. That's why for me, whatever the type of project I do or we do in our company with Lana is we first, we will always try to f- truly understand what the strategic vision brief is, whether it's a one-shot campaign for a brand or we're talking about the rebranding of a brand and really make sure we challenge the brand to be totally firm on what they see. Without that, anything you do would be meaningless. And if you do, it would not make sense. Those two things have to be in sync, you know, and and we've all failed sometimes that way and having these grandiose visions of what this campaign should be or not. And then realizing that we're totally disconnected with what the designer, the CEO wanted, or maybe they were too intimidated or didn't know themselves. So I think it's really this combination. And you see it with the best, the biggest successful brands in terms of Korea, the Balenciagas, the Gucci's, the San Lomos, these kind of brands that have this fantastic coherence in the vision, you know? So when we work on a rebranding for a brand or project, we want to know if we're just revisiting the DNA or if they want to create and add to the DNA with new things. If they're looking for a short-term impact or long-term, you know, some brands purely want to increase their revenue in their business, whatever it takes. That's why you have brands that are paying all these influencers that have no connection with the soul or what the brand is about because they just want to generate that business. And in other very successful cases, it's joint. They want to increase their business, but through a strong image. So all these things are fundamental. And I think when you have experience and self-confidence, it's easier to have these conversations with brands because then it helps you really do a better job, you know? Well, have you ever found yourself in front of a situation where you delivered exactly what the brand needed and requested based on their targets, even though it didn't necessarily align with what you would have preferred to do artistically? Well, yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of jobs. In terms of my own, you know, our own, not our own integrity, whenever we take the job, we will put all of our heart and soul and talent into it. It's not about giving up or something like that. It's really understanding that there are moments of time when you're getting a brief and you're, you know, sitting around with a communications director, a designer, everyone's dreaming and saying, we should do this, this, this. And, you know, at the end of the day, you realize that all they want to see is something that they already know. And that's not the case when I was working with Chloe or Sandal Hall or a lot of Prada or in, in certain times where that was not the idea or the mindset at all. This is what we want to do. Take us somewhere, make sure you deliver that. And we created things that were never seen because there wasn't any fear. You know, there was a sense of a trust in everyone's excellence level of profession. And ultimately the CEO or the designer were there to guide us in a proper way to make sure that we weren't departing from what the brand was about. But they also wanted to be surprised. You see, today people don't necessarily want to be surprised or they think they want to be surprised or they want to see new things. Everyone's talking about novelty, novelty, metaverse, is that. But what does that mean? They just want to repeat things that they see out there that they consider might be right for them. And that's the result of the pace today. People lose a lot of very smart people can also just find themselves lost because 
there's so much. And I was reading a lot of things on the metaverse and things like that yesterday. The same thing. It's a whole new hype and a whole new thing, but basically it's still totally shaping itself. No one has a clue of its relevance. It's just something that's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Well, that's actually something that we kind of can't have this conversation without touching upon. The metaverse has become such a prevalent subject of conversation in so many industries, including fashion. What do you anticipate that looking like as a new marketplace and how your role might be played within it? Or is it too soon to tell? Too soon. I mean, there's just so many layers in there, you know, right now, I mean, you could see a lot of commercial opportunities, brands being able to showcase. It depends if you're talking about ZR, AR. It really depends on the, the evolution of technology or how, you know, like for instance, when we went to the device world, we went to the device age right now, it was very quick for the industries to put out affordable phones on the market and have, you know, billions of people have a smartphone. Thus, that in chain reactions of tons of investments. And we're able to pass on into this kind of new era of the device. And a lot of things are happening. In terms of the metaverse, there are a lot of unknown factors. I mean, we're going to have, you know, massive VR glasses affordable. In that case, will there be enough people out there to invest enough to have that as a new experience? Yes, there will be these experiences here and there. We don't know. Same with Web3. It's being built. It's too early to say anything. All we can say, though, is whatever, whether it happens, it doesn't happen. It is bringing change to society anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, it's just accentuating, you know, the future of our digital consumption. That is not changing, you know. So whether it's a metaverse or it's augmented reality through devices or tools, there are all kinds of, you know, possibilities. But I think right now it's really more PR and buzz and hype and every brand from Coca-Cola to Woolworth is coming up with NFTs, their avatars and this and that. But you know what? Once again, there's still a lot of um, complex things, you know, this idea of this multiverse where you could buy a Gucci jacket and then go from one system to another is not going to happen because, you know, you know, big tech companies won't converge together and share information or come up with a system that would enable this. It's all business driven. So I think there are a lot of interests in terms of business and technology. But what's interesting, though, is to stay tuned, to look about it, to learn as much as possible and to experiment. We're going to be experimenting with the magazine. Also, I'm not saying we should reject all that. We have to embrace it. But there's a difference between embracing and being passionate and exploring and doing experiments, whether it's for a brand or a magazine, and saying that that's the future. That I don't believe so. It's too early for that. Very fair. Obviously, I could pick your brain for hours, and I definitely think there should be an entire course taught by you. But before we lose you today, I did want to pick your brain on what you think is contemporary now. Oh, man. That's a very good question. I think what's contemporary is your ability to truly find yourself and what I'm going to sound very spiritual, but to find what really brings you the most joy in what you do in work. You know, new generation, they have to force themselves to explore different things. Do you want to try food? Do you want to try design? I think we need to do that. There are no, there are no formats. I think what's contemporary today is, is that we are in the midst of a radical change. All these questions we're talking about right now are, are real issues, are issues of society. So I think it's about What's contemporary is about being very, very, very engaged in the times. Uh, what's contemporary is to support the things that you believe in, whether it's the, the magazines, the artists, the music, the art. What's contemporary is going out there, you know, it's also being in the physical and, you know, knowing how to like not become overly dependent on social, on your device and to actually, you know, go out there, which I, it's very easy for me to say, because I don't even do that enough myself, you know, to go out and go to museums, go to see shows, go to found music festivals, you know, to really engage in life because it's life that will bring you the strength, the ideas, the inspiration, 
you know, what's contemporary is having this kind of conversations we're having right now. I think being passionate, ideological and having a certain sense of humility and not thinking too highly of yourself. Because as you say, a career is a long time. You know, I'm, I'm not at the end of my career and I've been working for 30 years. And I think what's contemporary is about always questioning yourself and just fueling your passion, you know? Absolutely. Beautifully said. Thank you again for the time, for the genius drops of wisdom. I definitely hope that we have the chance to have you on again. Well, with pleasure. It was nothing less than an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. Special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, Joseph Tom Miller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Saw for the original theme music, and Aaron Marr for visual design. Subscribe now for a new episode each week, and for additional content, find us on social or at whatscontemporary.com.